I want you to think about your granddad or think about your uncle. Think about that one old man in your family who is very loud and very confident that you have no idea. You know what I'm talking about? You know this guy, right? This is the old guy who always talks about the old days and how the old days were so much better or so much harder or so much easier or so much more difficult just depending on whatever it is y'all are talking about that day. You know what I'm talking about? This guy will jump on every opportunity to tell you and everybody else in the room how good or how bad the old days were. And so you'll just be very innocently sitting in the same room with one of these old guys and you'll say something like, man, it's cold outside today. And he'll say, cold? You have no idea. I remember one winter it was so cold we had to open up the refrigerator just to warm up the house. We had to break the smoke off the chimney. We had to chisel the dog off the fire hydrant. You have no idea. You know this guy? You'll say something like, man, there's nothing to watch on TV. And this old guy says, TV? You have no idea. Why, when I was your age, TV was called books. And when we did get a TV, it only had five channels and only two of them worked at night. And I was the remote control. I had to kneel on the floor next to your granddad's TV. And I had to hold my hand on the knob while he called out the channels. 11, 5, 8, 4. You have no idea. That's how these old guys are. You might say something like, oh, I've got to go to bed because I've got to get up early tomorrow and go to school. Go to school? You have no idea. Now, we've heard this one a million times. When I was your age, I had to walk to school 16 miles, uphill both ways, say it with me, in the snow, barefoot, right? Which always makes me wonder, back then, why didn't they build the schools closer to where the kids were, you know? You have no idea, right? Don't ever talk about your aches and pains in front of one of these old guys, right? Oh, man, I think I hurt my shoulder. I've got a little pain going here. Pain? You have no idea about pain. One time I got run over by a tractor and my spleen came right up out of my throat. It's just flapping against my shirt, you know, and my appendix burst. My liver fell into my socks, but we had to finish our rows. We had to keep going, so I just shoved my spleen back down my throat, and I duct taped my appendix and my liver in place, and we finished our chores. That's how we did it back then. You have no idea. You ever had a good friend of yours talking to you about something that's going on in their life, something hard, some issue, some problem that they're going through, and you're thinking the whole time, you have no idea. That ever happened to you? They're talking about some loss or some sickness or some trial. And you're thinking, brother, you have no idea. Maybe it's a really good friend, a close friend. And this friend's telling you, I'm not a very good Christian. Or this friend's telling you, my prayer life is in the toilet right now. Or this friend's telling you, I can't even remember the last time I read my Bible. And you're thinking, Sister, you have no idea. You have no idea the kind of life I've led. You have no idea the sins I've committed. You have no idea how far away from God I feel right now. Is that you? I don't know. I'm just asking. 
I've been told that it's a really good idea to find somebody in the Bible you can relate to, somebody you can connect with, somebody you can really identify with in the Bible. Like, like you'd read this person's story and you're like, oh man, that's me. This is what happened to me. Or this, this is kind of how the Lord has interacted with me in the past. I think that's a good practice. I think it helps us better see ourselves in the pages of God's story. I think it helps us better understand how God is at work in my own life when I can see in the Bible, oh yeah, this is clearly how he worked with, with such and such or so and so in the Bible. I think this is a good practice. Like maybe, maybe you relate to, to Zacchaeus, right? Maybe you lived a whole lot of your life just kind of doing your own thing. And then one day right out of the blue, Jesus shows up and he plucks you out of your little tree and totally changes everything. Maybe that's how God worked in your life. Maybe that's kind of your story. Maybe you relate more to Nicodemus. Maybe you're a closet Christian. Maybe you know everything you're supposed to know. You're just not doing everything you're supposed to do. And your, your Christian life, your faith is private, kind of like your underwear. It's there, but nobody sees it, right? And, and so maybe, maybe you're, you're not living your faith publicly in order to hang on to more power or hang on to your position. Whatever it is, you can kind of see yourself in Nicodemus. Or maybe you're, like, maybe you're like the guy who laid by the pool at Bethesda for 38 years. You know that guy? He just laid there for 38 years. He didn't do anything. He just laid there feeling sorry for himself for 38 years. Man, that's me, you know. Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you relate to the woman caught in adultery. Maybe at one point in your life you had a big sin, one of these big ones that's public. And everybody knows about it and everybody's condemning you and everybody's punishing you and it's terrible. And then Jesus came into your life and he forgave you and he accepted you and he loved you. And he protected you from those who were trying to do you harm. Maybe that's your story. Maybe that's somebody you relate to in the Bible. Maybe you relate to Eutychus. Remember the guy in Acts 20? He fell asleep during the sermon. Anybody? Amen. Okay, I knew I'd get one. All right. That's, that's who we relate to. Or that, that's how I think it's a good practice for us to try to try to see ourselves in God's story. Now, some of you who already have Bible names, I think y'all have got it easier than the rest of us. Like if your name is Paul, I think it's easier for you to kind of see yourself or at least aspire to the Paul in the Bible. I think if your name is Paul, it's probably a good idea to try to see yourself as someone who is personally called by Jesus and has a single-minded focus on his mission. That's who you were named after. You know, trying to live up to that or trying to identify maybe with John. If your name is John, I think it's probably a little easier for you to try to see yourself as a former son of thunder who is being changed by God to become a disciple of Christ. I've got a good friend up in Amarillo. Her name is Hannah. And she intentionally tries to be like the Hannah in the Bible. She consciously wants to be a woman of constant prayer because that's how we see Hannah in the Bible. My friend in, in Amarillo, Hannah, she tries to be a servant. She tries to be a faithful servant of God because that's who Hannah is in the Bible. Now, I've reminded Amarillo Hannah a couple of times that the Hannah in the Bible acted in such a way that the high priest thought she was drunk in church, remember? But that's, that's just kind of our little joke. But I think that, that working with people in the Bible and putting yourself into the story, I think it's helpful. And there's one guy that I personally really relate to. And I want to talk to you about his story. 
But first, I need to tell you where I am right now. I don't always feel God's presence with me. I don't always hear God's voice speaking to me. I don't always feel God's approval of me. And I can get I can get emotional too easy. Too easy. And I think it's related to my baggage. I've got a lot of baggage. I've got a lot of sins in my life. Sins from 25, 30 years ago, sins from this past week. I've got sins that were handed down to me by my father, and I've got sins I've come up with all on my own. And they're always right there in front of me. A lot of the time. And I carry them with me. And again, I can get emotional sometimes. And I don't mean to, and I don't want to. But I'll just start crying, you know? Like in here on a Sunday morning, if it's a certain song, maybe it's a video, maybe I'm listening to somebody pray, I'm hearing the word of God being read, I just start crying. And I don't want to, but I do. Sometimes it's when I'm alone with just me and the Lord and my Bible on a retreat somewhere in the prayer room over here. Sometimes it's when I'm driving down the loop in my truck. I start crying. And it's not because I feel the Lord's presence or his approval or his forgiveness or his nearness. It's because I want to so bad. And I don't. I want to. And I know everything in my head. Right? I know it logically. I know it rationally. I don't always feel it in my heart. I don't always experience it in my soul. And I want to so bad. You just need to know that's where I am. I'm up and down on this stuff. And I wouldn't say any of that if I thought I was the only one in the room. If I am, somebody stop me so we can, we can fast forward this part. I'm not, Right? I'm assuming most people in this room experience the same thing I just described, I think. You know the truth in your head, but you don't always feel it in your heart. Like something's wrong, right? Something's, it's just not there where it should be at this point in my life. And you look around you, and it seems like all the Christians around you, all the churches around you, they're at the feast, man. They're eating, and they're drinking, and they, they've got a close connection with God, and they feel his assurance, and they, they have the joy of the Lord, and they're sharing inside jokes with Jesus that you don't even know about. And everybody's at the table except you because you're in the corner by yourself gnawing on a neck bone, you know, just kind of watching it from a distance. Sometimes. Well, I relate to the apostle Peter. You may say, oh, me too. I think that's why the Bible gives us so much on Peter, because all of us can relate to this guy. And I love Peter. I love him. He's, he's very decisive. He's very impulsive, kind of like me. When Jesus first meets Peter and calls him, the Bible says that Peter drops everything immediately to follow Jesus. It does not take Peter long to make a decision. And when he makes a decision, he's all in with everything he's got. He doesn't know how to do anything halfway. He is all the way, all the time. Remember at Caesarea Philippi, Peter is the first one to boldly confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the promised Messiah. You know, go ahead and go to that next slide. 
He's, he's proclaiming, right? Peter is declaring. He's, he's almost shouting, right? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we're like, yes, Peter, you're awesome. And then Peter turns around and tells the Lord, you've got to do things the way I want them done, Lord. And the Lord calls him Satan. Almost in the same sentence. Peter, you idiot. I do stuff like that all the time. At the transfiguration, we see Peter and he says, hey, we need to build three tents here. Let's build one for you, Jesus, and let's build one for Elijah, one for Moses. You know what the Bible says? It says Peter was so scared, he didn't know what to say. But he said something anyway, because that's Peter. He just feels like he has to talk. That's Peter. And that's me. I'm the same way. Out on the water, you know. Peter's the only one who says, yes, I'll step out there with you, Jesus. And he does. Peter's walking on the water with the Lord, right? Oh, Peter, the other 11. Can you see him in the boat? What great faith. Peter, you're awesome. And then Peter doubts the Lord and he falls. And what does the Lord say? What little faith, Peter. Little faith. Another time out on the water, they're in the deep water is what the gospel says. And Jesus tells them to throw out their nets on the other side. And they pull up so many fish, the boat starts to sink. And Peter, he's got these hundreds of fish just flopping around on the floor of the boat beside him. While the others are screaming with surprise and great joy, Peter realizes he's in the presence of the Son of God. And he falls to his knees and he says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Peter knows his sins. They're right in front of him. And Peter knows the utter holiness of the Lord. And it's hard. It's hard sometimes to feel the connection with Christ that you want. And I can relate to that. Can you? Can anybody relate to that? I think about Jesus on that last night. He's with his disciples around that table. And Peter's talking big, you know, that's what Peter does. He's bold, he's daring, he's always shooting his mouth off. The Apostle Peter and Alan Stanglin. Big talkers trying to hide deep-seated insecurities. And Jesus says, you're all going to fall away tonight because of me. And Peter says, no way, Lord. Even if everybody falls away, I will never disown you. Never. Even if I have to die with you, Peter says, I will never disown you. And Jesus says, Simon Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. How cool is that? Jesus is praying to God that Peter won't sin tonight. And that reminds me, I'm not the only one who doesn't get everything he prays for. I'm in good company. Peter is so emphatic here. He's so resolved. He is so committed, right? He's always all in. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. I will never betray you. Peter promises, I will never. And then two hours later, he does. Around the campfire, this little girl says, hey, you're one of Jesus' disciples. And Peter says, of course I'm not. I'm not with Jesus. I'm just here trying to get warm. And he walks away into the yard and another little girl sees him out there. Hey, you're, you're with Jesus. You came in with that Jesus guy. You're one of his followers. And Peter says, I'm not. And the Bible says he takes an oath. As surely as the Lord lives, 
I don't know who Jesus is. Well, now a crowd begins to gather. Hey, you're with Jesus. I, I hear it in the way you talk. I see it in the way you dress. You're obviously from Galilee. You're not from down here. You are with Jesus. And the Bible says that Peter began to call down curses on himself. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I've ever even met this man, Jesus. I swear to God, I don't know who he is. And the way Luke tells the story, Jesus at that moment turned and looked right at Peter. He just looked at him. And Peter knows, I've blown it. I have utterly and completely blown it. It's over. And I'm sick about it. The Bible says Peter went out and wept bitterly. Jesus is taken to trial. He appears before Herod and Pilate that night. He's brought before the high priest and the Sanhedrin, and they mock him, and they beat him, and they spit on him. They lied about him, they cursed him, and they sentenced him to death. And there's no Peter. Peter's gone. The next day, Jesus is tortured, and he's crucified. Jesus died alone. All the disciples had left him, and there's no Peter. Jesus is placed in a tomb that night. No Peter. Saturday, no Peter. Sunday morning, these faithful women who never once left Jesus' side, they show up at the tomb, and the stone's been rolled away, and the grave is empty. And the angel says, Jesus is risen. He is not here. Go tell his disciples. And Peter, go tell his disciples. And Peter, go tell Peter. Make sure Peter knows. Jesus is looking for Peter. Jesus hadn't forgotten about Peter. He'd been thinking about Peter the whole time. Now, I don't know everything that our Lord endured between his death and his resurrection. I don't think any of us knows the details of that. You know, there's, there's some evidence in Scripture. There's some church tradition and history that says Jesus literally went to hell and back. That he suffered every conceivable anguish for us. And if that's true, that makes sense to me. Because he would do that if he needed to. But whatever was happening to Jesus on the cross, whatever was happening to our Lord in the grave, he never stopped thinking about Peter. Peter's name was the first thing on his lips when he came up out of the grave. Tell Peter. See, the devil calls you by your sin. Jesus calls you by your name. The devil is your accuser. He's a liar. Jesus is your savior. He is the truth. Tell Peter. He knows what Peter did. And he still loves him. He's still looking for him. He'd been thinking about him the whole time. 
Same with me. He knows what I've done. Still loves me. Same with you. He knows what you've done. He knows everything. Still loves you. Turn to John 21. In John 21, Peter's got some old friends out on a boat. They're on the Sea of Galilee, and they're fishing. This feels very familiar, right? Peter's back to his old identity. Peter's looking for meaning. He's looking for purpose. He's looking for some kind of validation or connection based on his own skills and talents and his own achievements and accomplishments. He's fishing. And Jesus shows up early in the morning, it says. He's standing on the shore and he hollers out to the guys in the boat, why don't you throw your nets on the other side? That sounds familiar. And Jesus performs this miracle and they, they haul in this amazingly huge catch of fish. They can't even get the nets in the boat. And I can just see Jesus, can't you? I can see Jesus standing on the shore getting a real kick out of this, you know? Man, I love it when they act like that. I love it when I do this for them because they go crazy and they freak out and they yell and they scream and it's so cool. I love blessing those guys. I love those guys. Always blessing. Jesus is always blessing. That's the kind of Lord he is. And then one guy turns to Peter in the boat and he says, you know who that is, right? It's the Lord. Verse 7, as soon as Peter heard these words, he immediately throws himself into the water, it says, and rushes to meet Jesus. Jesus had come for him again. And Peter races to be near his Lord. And look at verse 12. Jesus says, come and eat. Jesus invites Peter to eat. Breakfast on the beach. Jesus provides the food, Jesus prepares the food, Jesus serves the food. This is Jesus' meal. And he invites Peter to eat with him. This meal of reconciliation, this meal of restoration and relationship, this meal of forgiveness and acceptance. They eat breakfast together. And then Jesus says, hey, can we talk and they get up and they take a walk. And Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than all this other stuff? Because you told me you did, remember? Remember on that last night, we're walking together through the Kidron Valley up to the Garden of Gethsemane. You told me that you loved me, that you loved me more than anything. Simon, Peter, you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Second time, Jesus says, Peter, Simon, son of John, you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Third time, Peter, do you love me? Listen to Peter. Lord, you know all things. Lord, you know all things. You know everything about me. You know my sin. Yes, Lord, you know what I've done. 
But Lord Jesus, you know my heart. You know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep three times. Go minister in my name. Go show this same love and grace and forgiveness and acceptance to everybody you know in my name. Peter, you still have a place at my table. Peter, you still have an important position in my mission. You still have my love. I love you. Of course you've messed up. I do know your sin. I do know all things, Peter, and I still love you. We need to hear that. We need to say it. Will you do that right now? I want you to say it twice. If you don't mind, do this for me. It'll be healing and it'll be wonderful for the person you're sitting next to. Will you turn to the person on your right and then again to the person on your left? And will you look them right in the eye and make sure they know he still loves you? Say that. He still loves you. Now, because we haven't figured out our seating arrangement in here yet, you may be seated next to somebody you don't know that well. I don't care who you're sitting next to. You know this for certain. Jesus still loves her. Jesus still loves him. You know that's true. That's why Jesus came. Remember? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but so that through his son, the whole world would be saved. We've already read these passages this morning. We read them around the table, eating and drinking together. This is how God shows his love. He sent his son. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved you. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. What did Jesus say on the cross? Do you remember what he said? He said, Father, blow them away. Father, waste them, all of them. These people who are mocking me, these people who are spitting on me, these people who have betrayed me, these people who are nailing me to this cross, burn them up, Father. No. Father, forgive them. These people who betray me, these ones who carry their sins around with them all the time. These ones who are so up and down in their faith, Father, forgive them. I still love them. Now, I imagine Peter looking right at Jesus on the beach there as they're taking this walk and saying, but Lord, I've committed the unforgivable sin. And Jesus saying, hey, Peter, I died and I was raised to make your unforgivable sin forgivable. Not just forgivable, forgiven, done. It is finished. He knows everything about you. And he still loves you. Tell yourself. Know that in your heart. I want you to feel it in your soul. That he knows everything. And he loves you. God loves you. God loves me. I want you to, I want you to hear it and I want you to feel it. 
And then I want you to hear God say to you, <laughs> you have no idea. You have no idea. No, God, I do know. I know how much you love me. You love me so much you came here to this earth and you willingly suffered and died on the cross for me. And God says, I did do all that, but you have no idea. You have no idea, God says, how much I love you. I think that's what Paul's telling us when he's writing this, uh, uh, this letter to the church in Ephesus. He says, I want you to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Surpasses knowledge means you have no idea. No idea. He still loves you. He knows what you've done. He knows everything about your whole life, and he still loves you. Can you say that out loud? He still loves me. Can you say that? Say it. He still loves me. Say it one more time. He still loves me. Yes, he does. He does. He came here to willingly suffer and die on a cross to make certain that nothing will ever separate you from God not even your sins. Stand with me, church. There was an older man who was anxious to finish up his doctor's appointment so he could go have breakfast with his wife who was at the memory care unit. He had breakfast with her every single morning. And the doctor said, why do you keep going? She doesn't even know who you are. And he said, I keep going. Because I know who she is. God knows who you are. He knows everything about you. And he still loves you. And I'd like to ask our elders and ministers, would y'all step out into the aisles and, and with your spouse maybe? I, we we want to spend a little bit of time in prayer. If we can pray with you. And let me get a couple down here, down front too. I want to make sure people can see you so you're not standing in the back. We want to be available today to pray with you, especially during this next song. If you just need somebody to say, to look you in the eye and grab your shoulders and say, he still loves you, we want to do that this morning. I don't want you to leave here not being assured of the love of God for you. And so I would ask you this morning, don't look at your sin, look at your Savior, okay? Don't worry about your mess. Embrace the Messiah. Don't focus on your failures. Receive his forgiveness. And I know that feeling comes and goes. But God's love for you surpasses your knowledge and your feelings. You have no idea. Let's sing together, church, and let's pray.